0: Uh, Matthew chapter 10 verses 29 through 31, uh, just a very simple passage of scripture, Matthew 10, 29 through 31, uh, this is what it says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would grant clarity to every heart and every mind as we approach your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel actually has two components. The first component is pretty easy for most of us. The second component tends to take a lifetime First component is the truth about who God is. The second component is the truth about who you are. What I'm finding is that God has an easier time convincing us of who He is than convincing us of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. He says to you, "I am holy," and your heart immediately, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Amen. I am righteous. It's not hard for us to believe that God is holy and righteous, but if He were to tell you, "You are holy," you are righteous. You have trouble believing that. If he tells you that he is set apart, we have no trouble believing that. But if he tells you that you are set apart. And the entire story of Scripture, if you begin to read it through this lens, is that the process of God in the lives of virtually every player in the biblical story has been a process of getting them to believe that second truth. Wow. Getting to them to believe that second component. I mean, think about Gideon. Like we talked about Gideon a couple couple of weeks ago in a wine press threshing wheat. Not because he didn't believe that God was powerful, because he didn't believe he was powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the angel of the Lord came to him not to reveal to him how powerful God was, hmm. but to reveal to him how powerful he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. Greetings, mighty warrior. God is more interested in revealing to you who you are. It's easy to get you to believe who he is. It's hard to get you to believe who you are. And we think it's humility, but it's actually unbelief and bondage. We think that thinking little of ourselves, belittling ourselves in our own mind, thinking lowly of ourselves is our way of walking humbly before God that ain't humility, we don't realize that it slaps God in the face and calls the blood of Jesus Christ a liar. The children of Israel didn't enter into the promised land, not because they didn't think highly of God, because they didn't think highly of themselves. As soon as they went, the spies went into the land, 10 out of 12 of them came back going, The land is too great for us. It swallows up its inhabitants, and there's giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight. and We look like grasshoppers in our sight, and we look the same to them. They had a grasshopper complex, not about God, but about themselves. And what Joshua and Caleb saw that the other spies did not see is that to continue to believe that I am a grasshopper In light of the promise of God, that God has promised for generations to give us this land, but we believe that we are too small to possess it, we're actually calling God a liar. We're doubting the promise, calling the promise of God into question because of what we continue to believe about ourselves. So we see Jesus with his disciples His process with them was a process of, number one, teaching them a revolutionary way of thinking about who God is. They had all of these ways of thinking about God. He's master. He's king. He's creator. He's Lord. And Jesus would say, yeah, he's all of those things. But there's only one way I want you to know him. He's your father. So when you pray, say, our father. And don't worry about what you're asking for because your heavenly Father knows what you have need of yeah. okay. before you ask. Yeah. And he says here in this passage are not two sparrows so- sold for a dollar, <laughs> but yet not one of them falls to the earth without your Father, your Father, seeing it? Wow. How much more valuable are you than many sparrows? Yeah. And what Jesus is doing is so genius because he takes this core central truth about God and communicates it in such a way as to say if you truly begin to believe this about God you have to think differently about yourself as well. Because you cannot believe that he is your father without also believing that you are his child. The genius of Jesus is he says, I'm gonna teach you theology and anthropology at the same time. I'm gonna teach you what to believe about God and what to believe about yourself in one word. And if you believe this one word, it'll change your life. God is Father, He's your daddy. You believe that? It'll change everything. It'll change everything. You believe He's your daddy? you'll understand his love and you'll begin to understand how deeply you are loved. It'll change your sense of identity. And once your sense of identity changes, your behavior changes. I had an idea I wanted to do today, but I was kind of afraid to do it. And the idea I had in my mind was actually maybe I'll try it. I wanted to demonstrate something to you. One of the things that people have said to me over the years is, you have an amazing memory, as if memory is some mystical thing. Memory is actually very simple. And by the way, I have a terrible memory in other areas. Like I can't remember what I did with my sunglasses or my keys. I lose stuff all the time because I can't remember what I did. And I definitely can't remember the last thing my wife told me. So I'm working on, you know, applying this to other things but I can remember large passages of scripture. I can call it to mind in a moment. Yeah. And people think that's just like some mystical gift. It's actually very simple, and I'm not gonna do it, but the, the, the exercise I was gonna do was to have you give me 20 random words, have those 20 words put on the screen, and as you give them to me, I'll remember them in order so that you could ask me, what's number 14? I could tell you what number 14 is. What's number two? All right, I'll do it, give me 20 words. Put them up on the screen as they call it. Just random words. Use nouns to make it easy. Don't embarrass me here. Just call out a word. Chair, Chair is number one. Love, love is number two. Oh, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. Slow down just a little bit. Chair is number one, okay? Love is, love is not a noun. I need a noun. Come on, not a concept. All right, we can do love is number two. Okay, ladder is number three. Ladder is number three. Okay, number four. Huh? Dog. Dog is number four. Dog is number four. Okay, what's number five? Shoe is number five. Okay, shoe is number five. Chipmunk is number six. Chipmunk is number six. Okay. Huh? Motorcycle is number seven. Motorcycle is number seven. Nigerian is number eight. Nigerian is number eight. Okay. Indonesia is number nine. Indonesia is number nine. Satay is number 10. Satay is number 10. Okay. All right, all right, that's enough. Let's just do 10. We just, we just ain't nobody got time for this. All right, so are those 10 words on the screen? Okay. Uh, you want me to do them backwards? Okay. Number 10 is Satay. Uh, number 9 is Indonesia. Number 8 is Nigerian. Uh, number 7 is... Um, See, I'm embarrassing myself. Okay, I'll come back to number seven. Uh, number six is chipmunk. Uh, number five... Shh. Anyway, I messed it up. Number one is chair. Number one is chair. Number two is love. Uh, number three is ladder. Number four is dog. Uh, five is it shoe uh, number seven Where are the dice uh, motorcycle motorcycle okay. so so here's how I did, here's how I did and if, if I if we did it right I could do 20 words I could do 40 words I could do 100 words um, but here here's how you do it basically I have a list of 20 words in my mind that represent the numbers so for instance for me number seven is always dice and so when you say number seven is motorcycle, I imagine a big set of dice on a motorcycle. So when you ask me what's number seven, I simply have to picture, what's in the, what is the, where, are, where are the dice? The dice are on the motorcycle. That's number seven. So when number six for me is gun. So whatever it is, I shoot, right? So whatever you give me, I shoot that with number six. So I'm shooting a chipmunk. The, the, you know, <laughs> We're the chipmunks, you know, you know what I mean? I'll never forget that image. Number two is light switch, right? And so there's a big heart on the light switch. There's a chair coming out of my tree. That's number one, right? There's a ladder on a stool. That's number three, right? The harder one was like Indonesia, right? That was, uh, uh, Indonesia was um, nine, cat. And so somebody's dropping a cat into Indonesia. It was hard for me to come up with that image, right, Uh, quickly. There's a Nigerian on roller skates, because eight is skate. So my friend Dele, whenever I think of Nigerian, Dele comes to mind. So I just have Dele on roller skates. So that's that's number eight. Here's the point. The point is taking the task of memorization and converting it into an act of imagination is how you remember. Whereas what we tend to do is try to remember words. The, The brain doesn't remember words. The brain remembers pictures. So if you can take a word and tie it to a picture... You can remember it. The point that I'm making is discipleship. We tend to think of it as morality, a process of converting our behavior, transforming our behavior. You need to transform. Discipleship is actually the transformation of every moral task into a relational act. Because your spirit doesn't think in terms of morality. It thinks in terms of relationship. And if we begin to think relationally instead of morally... We will actually act morally. It'll change our morality because we're not trying to be moral, we're just trying to be in love with Jesus. And so, in actuality, everything that you're struggling against in every area of your life be it moral, be it relational, be it in terms of productivity work ethic, whatever it is, every area of your life in which there is any kind of bondage, in which there's any kind of struggle, the problem is not the struggle. The problem is you don't think highly enough about yourself. You're wrestling with the truth about who you are in God and not understanding that believing wrongly about yourself is just as heretical as believing wrongly about God. Because the children of Israel, they never said, God is not able. They never said, God's not big enough to take us into the promised land. They never said, God is a liar. They said, we are not able, we are not small, and God took it personally. He said, that's heresy, and you're all going to die for that. And we don't take that seriously enough that God is serious about getting us to think about ourselves. The way he thinks about us. Yeah. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I want you to think about yourself. I want you to wake up in the morning thinking, I've been chosen. Yeah. You are a cho- do you know what a chosen generation is? You know what it means to be chosen? You know what I think one of the most powerful acts that we can do as human beings is adoption. My little sister was adopted. My parents adopted her when she was just a little girl. Yeah. We just celebrated my father's 70th birthday last week. Yeah. Had a Zoom birthday party. Protect everybody from Omarion. <laughs> Didn't want him dancing through that party. And we all gave our tributes. My brothers and I each gave a tribute, and we talked about memories that we have from our, chi- our childhood. But you know what my sister said? She said, you chose me. And you know what I heard in that? uh, Tears came to her eyes. Thank you for choosing me. You chose me. What I heard her saying was, you didn't have to be my daddy. You had to be they daddy. (laughs) You didn't have a choice. Here they came. But you didn't have to be my daddy. But you chose to be. You didn't have to love me, but you chose to. You chose me because you wanted me. You looked at me and loved me when I was not related to you, but you made me related to you because you chose me. Peter says, You are a chosen generation. God didn't have to love you, but He chose to. He didn't have to be your daddy, but He chose to. He looked at you and loved you so much and said, I want that one. I want that one. I want that. Do you know how powerful that is? If you get it in your spirit that you're chosen, that God put his finger on you and said, I want that one. Do you know how powerful that is? You are a chosen generation. And then he said, you're a royal priesthood. Royal, which means you're royalty. Your sons and daughters of the king. You can't be a child of the king and not be a prince or a princess. Yeah. You think of yourself, I'm just a servant. I'm just a lowly servant. Yes, you're a servant, but first and foremost, you're a prince or a princess, and then you serve as a son or as a daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Shame is a sign that you think of yourself differently than God thinks of you. this last week I was feeling down but I didn't know I was feeling down I just thought I'm stressed because there's so much going on what I didn't realize was I was actually feeling terrible about myself felt like a failure and it tends to happen I was journaling about it the night before and I was saying Lord why does my heart get so dark when the Sun goes down why is it that at night when the Sun goes down My heart gets dark too. How can I live so that the darkness remains outside and doesn't come inside? Teach me to walk in the light as you are in the light. And I didn't realize that every night I start rehearsing my failures. I start meditating on all of my shortcomings. And so I called Pastor Robert Daniels i just thought i'm just a little stressed he goes how are you benjamin i said i'm I'm good i'm good you know i am right. yeah it's good you know things are good you know Maybe, maybe a little stressed i'm actually i'm a little bit overwhelmed a little bit frustrated i just got so many things on my plate i'm being pulled in so many different directions i've got meetings from sunup to sundown it just doesn't seem to stop and he goes well if i were you if i ever felt overwhelmed I would just walk out my front door and look over my kingdom. (laughs) He said, God put you on that hill. What did God say about David? I have installed my king on my holy hill. David said, he put me on a hill. He put me on top of everything so that I could just look down on my kingdom. That's what you need to do, Benjamin. Walk out on your patio and just look over all your kingdom and see everything that you reign over. I was like, that's kind of true, huh? And he goes, You need to go get in your hot tub. I was like, Yeah, my wife's been telling me to get in there. I said, I actually got in last night. We had some folks over. He goes, Well, how long did you stay in? I said, About 15 minutes. He said, I ought to reach through this phone and slap you. You got in that hot tub for 15 minutes. You can't take more than 15 minutes to enjoy the good things that God has given you. 15 minutes and you've lived there for a month and you've only been in that hot tub for 15 minutes. You're so busy worrying about everything and and thinking everything's wrong and looking at everything wrong in your life and you can't see what God has given you. And I said, that's true. That's true. And he starts telling me all of these good things about my life. And when I hung up the phone, I realized I feel great about myself. <laughs> and I actually sat down to journal about it because I realized I always feel great about myself when I talk to him. I call him feeling terrible, and I hang up the phone feeling awesome. And my situation hasn't changed one bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My perspective has changed. Yeah. That's good. And I realized, I sat down to journal and I wrote this. Number one. His perspective of my life is incorrigibly good. No matter what he's going to tell me, it's good. It's good, Benjamin. And I used to joke with him I said, I could call you and say, My wife just shot me in the leg. And he'd say, Well, that's just the blood of Jesus. (laughs) It's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Your wife is just doing that because she loves you. I mean, he'll find a way to make it a good thing. How is that a good thing, Bishop? And I wrote in my journal, his perspective of me is incorrigibly good, hopelessly good. And number two, he never lies to me. I always find myself going, that's true. That's true. That's true. And the third thing I wrote was, I finally realized after all these years that his entire discipleship process in my life is to train me how to think about me the way God thinks about me. He says all these good things and says, Benjamin, this is how God sees you. Please let me teach you how to see you as God sees you. And I realized that was Jesus' process with his disciples. He sees them worried and he goes, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Do you know where your worry comes from? You don't know how precious you are to your father. Your father knows what you have need of before you ask. Whenever you start to worry, just consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. But yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed as one of these. And if this is the way God clothes the lilies which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore give no thought to tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And later on he says, but you, just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, my my process in your life is to impart to you the knowledge of your preciousness before God. How loved you are. How deeply beloved. You were once darkness, Paul would say. But now you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. So all you got to do is believe that. Now you can walk as children of the light. And I know what you're thinking, because there's a part of you that's thinking, but if you only knew these dark things about me, shouldn't I fix those first before I can think highly of myself? Shouldn't I break free from those things first? You see, that's conventional thinking. Conventional thinking says, I've got to fix all of this stuff, and then I can believe all of the things that God says about me, and that's backward. You're trying to redeem yourself. You're trying to become your own redeemer. You're trying to circumcise yourself, and it will never work. You believe what God says about you, and believing what God says about you is what gives you the power to live it out. You'll never be able to live that out until you begin to believe that what God says about you is true. You'll never act chosen until you believe that you're chosen. You'll never act clean until you believe that you're clean. Shame is the enemy's attempt to convince you that you are your struggle. Shame is an assault on your God-given identity. It is the enemy's way of drawing out of the evidence of your life and using that evidence to convince you that God is a liar. That when Satan assaults you, he don't care about you. He sees you as a gateway to assaulting him. All God wants is to convince you that you are loved. My youngest, my middle brother, I have two younger brothers. Joshua, my middle brother, is a pastor in Washington, D.C. He actually pastors two churches in Washington, D.C. He has the best work ethic of the three of us. He's also got five children. Joshua, in his tribute to my father, talked about the years in which Josh was running wild. He was the rebel of the family. Yeah. And my father was not walking with the Lord. And then suddenly, when I was 13, Joshua was 11, Charles was 9. My father recommitted his life to the Lord. Right around that time, right around that time, Josh was going, out, going off. And into his high school years, he was just living wild. And he talked about a moment when my father took him aside. And he thought my father was going to rebuke him and chastise him for his way of life. But instead, my father looked into his eyes and said, Son, I just want you to know how much I love you and how much I care about you. And with tears in his eyes, he said, if there's anything I can do for you, yeah. anything, you let me know and I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a father. Yeah. That's a father. Yeah. What was he talking about? The way he was living his life? Of course, he was talking to him about the way he was living his life, but not from the perspective of morality. Yeah. He didn't come to him and say, Here are the moral codes that you've broken. And here's the more ethical way of life. He didn't come to him and say, here are the sins that you've committed. He came to him and said, son, my heart is broken for you as a father. And I just want you to know that if there's anything I can do to show you how much I love you, I'll do it. And my brother said, that moment changed my life. That moment. That moment changed my life. You know, there's some of you listening and some of you watching and even some of you that will hear this message in the future and you've been running from God yeah. because you don't understand His posture towards you. You don't understand His heart towards you. You don't understand that He cares about you. Your preciousness. Your value. Shame Is the enemy's attempt to get you to run from God? But shame covers your eyes and covers your heart from this fundamental truth about who God is. He is Father. He is Father. I remember when my daughter was potty training she made a lot of mistakes she didn't get it right all at once But when she messed up you know what she did she came to me she didn't try to clean herself up she didn't try to fix it herself she didn't worry about being rejected because she had messed herself up you know why She knew her preciousness in my eyes and in her mother's eyes. And she knew in her heart, yeah, I've messed up, but I'm still precious. God wants you to know that you're still precious. Bow your heads. I just rebuke the spirit of shame right now in Jesus' name. That lie of the devil that tries to get God's children to run away from him, to hide from him. I renounce that. That lie of the enemy that seeks to cover the eyes of the people of God so that they can't see who they are in him. I renounce that shame. And I release by the power of the Holy Spirit the grace of God that brings salvation. It appears to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause our hearts to become students of your grace. Let your grace be our teacher. Lord, the enemy would love for us to continue to be taught by shame. Shame teaches us to run from you. It's a doctrine of demons. But grace teaches us to run to you. And Right now, under the sound of my voice, I pray that everyone hearing these words would open their heart to the grace of God and say yes. This is not self-help. This is not motivational speaking. This is not sloppy agape. This is the truth. Your preciousness before God is intact. Is sin serious? Of course sin is serious, but you can't rise above it without understanding that your preciousness before God is intact. That He calls you out of it because of your preciousness to Him. That He loves you incorrigibly. And that His heart is wide open to you. And some of you, for the first time, are opening your heart to the love of Jesus and saying yes to welcome him in whether you're online or whether you're here or whether you're listening to this later my encouragement to you is to just tell somebody after the service is over if you're here you can go to the info table or you can come to the altar after we dismiss if you're online pastor Jamerson would love to pray with you. you can just Drop in the chat, Pastor Jamerson, I want want you to pray with me. Or you can just email him. What's his email address? Jamerson at lineage.us. Either way, we want you to know that your preciousness before God is intact. Holy Spirit, rest upon every soul. break every lie establish the truth and may that truth penetrate every part of who we are that you are our father and we are your children and when that truth permeates every part of who we are we will live differently I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die and pay the price for our sin. And I speak blessing to each and every one today in his holy name. Amen.